Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before this episode of The Final Word, a reminder that Adam and Jeff are producing daily episodes during the Australia v. India test series. The daily ups are available within about two hours of the end of the day's play. If you have an interest in the origin story of the Australia versus India rivalry, check out The Greatest Season That Was Presents, The Final Frontier. It's a great long-form documentary that explores the beginnings of Australia v. India. Episode 1 features Hasha Bogle and Episode 2, Gavin Robertson. Episodes with Adam Gilchrist, Damian Fleming, and Colin Funky Miller are on the way. The Greatest Season Was Presents and The Final Word are part of the Bad Producer Podcast Network. You can check out all of our podcasts at badproducerproductions.com. That's enough from me. Now... Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. Hey, uh, I heard the other day that CBUS are building a new future. What's that all about? Well, CBUS are investing in heaps of new projects, creating thousands of jobs for workers like us. And when you spend your pay at the bakery, you're boosting local business and the economy. Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. Come on, I'm starving. Of course you are. (laughs) CBUS, for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is The Final Word Story. With Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, this is our weekend wander through cricket history. So if you're here for news, views, hot takes and updates, this is not the show for you. If you're here to learn about the 1912-13 Tri-Series <laughs> tests between South Africa, England and Australia, this is the place for you. And if you're in the former category, maybe you want to stick around. This is coming to you during the Sydney Test Match. So it's late at night, we're exhausted, and this is sometimes when we do our best recording, sometimes when we do our worst recording so we'll leave that up to you to decide but we're we're currently outdoors so this is final word al fresco we're sitting on a balcony in a borrowed apartment with a lovely view of the city over Collingwood. Uh, it's 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 a, a very pleasant place to be. There might be some traffic and maybe some occasional, like, garbled yelling from the street, but that's just part of the, the local theatre. So just, you know, bear with that in the background. Hello, Adam. Hello, Jeff. The first time we've ever recorded story time together. We've always done this remotely, right? so it's a milestone wow. of sorts. And this is like when you've been internet dating someone for ages and you're not sure if you've been catfished the whole time, but... <laughs> The, the truth arrives and you have to see them in person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the location's perfect. That is, uh, as you mentioned, straight over the top of the Melbourne Central mm-hmm. Business District, over the top of the Birmingham Hotel, which, according to yeah. the top of the building, has been there since 1853. It's had a few different lives, the Birmingham. Yeah. Didn't the Burmo in the mid-'80s end up as a bit of a fascist hotspot, a neo-fascist hotspot i think it did but these days it couldn't be further from that it's a very welcoming <laughs> establishment i remember well, trying to buy from the them fascists have just become fascists yes. so there's I, I tried to buy from them some years ago mm. they had a um they had a uh, a big fanta sign on the wall okay and after a million beers i was trying to negotiate how mm. i could own that fanta <laughs> sign i just believed it needed to be but they didn't relent 
But it's a bit of a theme here, isn't there? About half an hour ago, I had a message from Dylan Leach, friend of the show, dear friend of the show, um, sending me through a piece of merch from the 1991 Grand Final, an AFL hat that was produced for the day, 69 bucks. And I said, Dylan, I'm going to let this one go through to the keeper. And I copped an absolute barrage saying I changed man that the old me would have bought that in a heartbeat well I did buy a Barcelona 1992 tracksuit this week Dylan so I haven't lost I haven't you, lost you bought that I saw that circulating I saw some people trying to pique your interest oh yeah in, in the Barcelona 91 tracksuit it's yours now yeah yeah it was worth every cent that I paid well haven't exchange money yet but we've come to terms for, for what I'm going to yeah. pay for it which isn't that much money in the grand scheme of things and it was, um, I noticed someone it was a size medium is that I'm not sure that's going to work for either no it's, it's going to be well yeah I might just sneak in on my <laughs> when, I, when I've had a you know a couple of busy days and not been eating but um no it, it's a it's a relic and the most attractive tracksuit that Australia ever wore to the Olympic Games and I felt mm. like it needed to be taken back it's currently in Belle Reve a place that okay. we love so I need yeah. to get someone in Tasmania to collect it I think Alex Johnson um, and another friend of ours uh, yep. will, will at some point go along and make that did, mine um, did, was that the one that John Howard used to walk around in through his morning power <laughs> no that was, that was one of the um, no the, the, this predates uh, Howard the, the, this is um, Kathy Watt Clint Robinson oh, areas yeah yeah, yeah. But the one with the circles on it. Yes, that's mm. right. The, the hypercolour green and yellow. I remember drawing it every day at school during that Olympiad, as it were. <laughs> anyway, uh, we, we should probably talk about the numbers that the show revolves around. Perhaps well, we, we could. should explain story time because okay. I'm hoping that there will be a, a cohort of people who have found the final word through Christmas, New Year, Boxing Day, The Daily Show. Yep. We certainly found that in 2019. People were thrown a link to The Final Word Daily mm-hmm. and then they stumbled upon The Weekly Show mm-hmm. and the rest is kind of history. So you might think it's, it's weird that we're about... because this show is just about history. Yes, and you might find it weird that we're about to have a sort of a long conversation about, well, I can see in my notes here, that Clem Hill's going to be mentioned a number of times today. <laughs> of course. Speaking of 1912 and, 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 well, that's certainly the era he was playing. But, um, yeah, unless it's explained properly, it, it may not make sense. So why don't you do that, Jeff? Yeah, did I say the Tri-Series was 12-13? It was in England. It was in England. It was a single season. It was. Anyway, these are the things that happen. There will be mistakes on this particular edition of the show. So, look, the show started because people were uh, signing up to support it on Patreon and then some people, starting with uh, the revered Philip Ming, started sending us random numbers that weren't just normal numbers of money, but they were... They had some sort of cricket-related thing and the first few were pretty straightforward and obvious and we started talking about them on the show and then more people started doing it and then more people started doing it and then it became a regular segment trying to guess what the numbers were and then that segment became so big that it had to spin off and become a separate show. So here we are and often we might, uh, generally we'd have a an interview with someone else or whatever it may be but we're catching up on some story time so we're just going to churn through as much numerage as we can today before we pass out from exhaustion (laughs) that's pretty much how we're doing it so there will be more numbers than usual if you're on the show tonight today we'll we'll try to put your name in the show notes and so you should know that you're here then you can find your bit wherever it is that we get to it yeah, and I think, again, a lot of people would be familiar with Patreon. Again, if you're new to the show, you'd be familiar with the idea of Patreon, but normally it's, you know, chip in a dollar or three dollars or mm. whatever, and you'll get your name mentioned once at the end of the show in the credits or something like that, which is a lovely thing to do. I'm not diminishing that as a, as, as a way of recognising paid support, which has been instrumental to the final word 
surviving and growing through um, through you know the, the toughest year that well any of us have had really. But um, yeah, we like this because it means that we can continue having a conversation with our patrons on and through the show. Where you have a number, then you might update your number, and then we have another uh, exploratory mission on working out what you were talking about, and and it ends up being some of the most enjoyable podcasting that we do because mm. it means that we learn stuff along the way. We tell funny stories. There's lots of little threads, lots of little sidebars, inside jokes, and all the rest. So um, that, that that's I think covering every base for any new listener. Well, and the other thing is that there are people who don't send a nerd pledge. They send a regular number because they're just getting straight to the point and we love and appreciate them. And those are known as our Julio pledges because they're not nerds, they're Julios. And and they they will be dealt with, I think, next week. I'm, yep. I'm working on something for our Julios, a segment for our Julios to give them our love and respect and attention as well so bear with us if you're a Julio some Julios upgrade as well, they come in as a Julio and they leave a nerd You know, <laughs> Yes, we, we had quite a few over Christmas do that, which, mm. uh, which is pretty cool uh, and there'll be some people I wrote messages to during the week in our inbox which is another part of what we do on the Patreon pages have these pretty fun conversations it's like a private members club uh, it developed really nicely through 2020 I said to a few of you we will reconsider your number this week well because we had two weeks away from the show we haven't we're not going to get around to everything this week we've got we're we'll very do, tired we'll do the best we can on. so we're, we're just going to do what we can yes. this week and we will come to more things in, in the weeks to come when the tests are over and Adam is stranded in Australia forever because <laughs> the UK is on fire in one way or another. So that's how it works. Uh, are, we, are we good? Are we comfy? With, with no further ado? With no further ado, time for a little bit of a nerd pledge! <laughs> you can do that when you're outside. <laughs> I wonder Nobody. what they're thinking when, they, when they're hearing that beneath us here. Who yeah. cares? Well, <laughs> they're beneath us. <laughs> uh, it is nice to look over and see the Birmingham Hotel. And good times. There are good times just just soaked into the stone around here. Probably some bad times too, maybe more of them. But anyway, let's move on to our new numbers, our new Nerd Pledge numbers, and later we'll be looking at some revisited ones. The first one is a double header, meaning that a couple of people have sent the same number. Alistair Wilson and Andrew Beach. Wilson and Beach. It could be a, I don't know, like maybe a, a shaving soap company or something <laughs> like that. Sounds, you know, it sounds like a, and uh, there'd be a nice fragrance. The number is $1.60, which via the terms of Nerd Pledge, you've got one, six and zero, and they could be configured in any way with a decimal point or not. It could be 1.6, it could be 16, it could be 160. What have you made of one, six, zero? Well, for, well first, first of all, we should note you can send a clue through as well. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Do you both want to read Alistair's clue to you? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll leave that to you. Okay. What, what have Alistair and Andrew prompted us with? Uh, Alistair, okay, we've both got a clue. Yes, I, I just missed Andrew's there. Alistair has said... This was the highest individual score in the first test I attended, but the test is probably best remembered for a bowler's performance. A fun fact that might help you, I went to the same school as Paul Allott, but not at the same time. And Andrew's clue says simply, a great batsman scorned. (laughs) Well, uh, the first one ended up being fairly straightforward. So Paul Allott, Manchester, Lancashire... 1985, the Manchester Test match. Mike Gatting made mm-hmm. 
160. By the way, Paul Allen, of course, is now the director of cricket at Lancashire. Of course. Of but, course. Uh, who could forget? Who yes. could forget the director of cricket at uh, Lancashire? Just to I reinf- scold myself each morning. <laughs> just to reinforce that link. But no, the reason what that test is remembered for, even though England uh, you know, go on to win that Ashes series mm. 3-1 and, and do so comfortably, is that it was Craig McDermott's first trip to England. And in the first innings, where... Gat made one six zero. McDermott took eight for one hundred and forty one. His best figures in Test cricket to that point. And all the wickets that fell to a bowler in that innings were to McDermott. So there was a run out. Alan Lamb was run out, mm-hmm. and they declared eight down. So sorry, declared nine down. I should say, which meant that yes, he was the uh, the only wicket taker in the innings. So I think that 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 well, he was player of the match, and the game was drawn after Alan Bourne made an unbeaten one four six the second time around. So the series was. Won all after four test matches. So, you know, they were still in there kicking. But England went and won the, the fifth test match at Edgbaston and the sixth at the Oval, both by an innings. And they won the Ashes in style under David Gower. In style magazine, <laughs> edited by <laughs> David Gower. <laughs> OK, so that, that knocks off Alistair's... Um, I think so. I, it, surely that... That's going to be Alistair's based on the yeah the, the clue and the, the link to Lanks and the, the test in 85. So if okay. we're wrong, let us know. We'll come back to it next week. And if you're talking about great batsman score, Ned, few have been as great and as scorned as one that we've spoken about on the show a number of times, that being Clem Hill, uh, who we often mention as the man who tried to throw a chairman of selectors out a window. <laughs> Fair enough, too. But made 160 and was cut off in the prime of his death career. Yeah, I'm not sure whether he was in the category of scorned in 1908, though, when he made his 160 at Adelaide. I think that's when... Yeah, but he was scorned later. Yeah, this is know? kind of Clem Hill mania time. Mm. Right? Well, perhaps a little bit earlier, actually, yeah. but nonetheless, he was still pretty good then. I, I, for a moment, I thought Gatting as well for scorned, yeah. okay. but I moved away from that because he had a test double, so if it was his highest score, then, then maybe so. Yeah. But where I ended he up getting... He's kind of scorned. In the, like, he's basically remembered as the fat bloke that Shane Warne got out. You know, that's sort of the, the disrespectful way in which people... I suppose. Like, people don't respect the accomplishments that he achieved with the Yeah, bat. yeah, and, and he was a successful England player to the extent that he played for 17 years, but that was interrupted by a Rebel Tour, and he got back to yeah, play for England. Yeah, he probably deserve a bit of scorn that, for that. And ended up, you know, having a, a number of senior roles around the place. But we won't go through that again. Peter Burge, though, maybe here. So we talked about his 160 at Leeds at 1964 with Jim Maxwell. Well, we referenced it yeah. in the Christmas show. This is an innings that Jim remembers listening to through the, mm. the Crystal Set Radio as a kid at boarding school. So that third Test match, the first two were drawn. And at Leeds, England make 268. Australia respond with 389, thanks to Burgess, 160 at, at number four. And then Australia eventually win by seven wickets. And mm. it ends up being the, the defining performance of the defining test match because the last two test matches are, are drawn as well. So Australia retained the Ashes in England, winning the series 1-0. So it was enough to get Burge named as one of the Wisdom Five. Right. In 1965, it was one mm. of four centuries he made in an 11-year career, 42 test matches. I mean, yeah. it's hard to see how he was scorned, really. He didn't play perhaps as much as he might have when he was younger, but he sort of made up for it at the end and left on his own terms. So well, I don't he, think he was scorned. He but had his own television spin-off, Burge Arse, of course. <laughs> um, and he was involved. I mean, I suppose he's... Well, this is a bit of a bit of a leap here, but he was the match referee during the Dirt in the Pocket for Argo in 1994. I don't think he was scorned for that, though, really, either. Well, he passed was, away he in 2001 was, at age 69. He was misled, um, Peter Burge said afterwards, that 
Uh, had Michael Atherton been truthful about what he was doing with the dirt in the pocket, then Peter Burge would have suspended him, but Atherton wasn't and said that he was, I'm just trying to dry my hands. And so Peter Burge didn't suspend him, but uh, felt that he'd been hoodwinked afterwards. Uh, and Bygones, Mentioned Jeff. that afterwards. Well, Bygones. You know, I mean, so I'm just saying, maybe, maybe there was an element of being... I don't know, feeling hard done by in that that he'd been misled. Alistair Wilson and Andrew Beach, you can let us know if we were anywhere near the mark. Sue John Chowdhury is our next nerd pledger. $2.63 the number, 263, Adam. Anything? Well, there's some good stories there from cap numbers, but we're not going to tell them. So Max Walker, Paul Adams. So I think that's a worthwhile story mm-hmm. to tell at some point. I'm sure we'll get the chance. Rudiman Saha for India, who's a, a talking point this week, especially given he's out of the side uh, for an inferior wicketkeeper in Rishabh Punt, which has been mm-hmm. a point of focus at the SCG. But, but can he do handsprings? True. Because, you know, there was some video of Rishabh Punt doing handsprings. And frankly, that's what I want to wicket well, For all the grief that Rishabh cops about, he, the, you know, the, the extra padding he might have around the midriff, that's quite impressive that he's able to throw himself around like that in the gym. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, uh, I think it does have to be Alistair Cook's 263, the only time that score's been made in Test cricket. But it's very yeah. nerd pledgy, isn't it? I mean, he, he was out there for 836 minutes and 528 balls in the crazy heat of Abu Dhabi in 2016 against Pakistan. So that made it the longest innings by an Englishman. So Hutton was there for 7.97 minutes for his 3.64 and Mm -hmm. the third longest in Test history. So Cook, 8.36 minutes. Gary Kirsten, 8.78 minutes when he made his 275 in the final week of 1999 against England. And Hanif Mohammed, 970 minutes in 1957 at Barbados against the West Indies. The longest innings in Test cricket for his 337, and I'm sure it'll, that'll never be broken. But yeah, Cook's 836. I remember at the time Mike Selby was, was writing about it at the time, if I recall correctly. And there are a number of hilarious intros about everything that had happened around the world uh, while Cook had been batting across. I think it was three days, and one of his. Well, we, we talked about a number of his achievements in Test cricket, but that's one that stands out for endurance. Endurance is, is is one factor in that, I suppose. The the not sweating thing, does that hurt you or does it help you um, yeah. when, when you're out in the middle in, yeah, in Abu Dhabi? Yeah, I suppose. I uh, suppose, because sweat does have a function. It's supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to, it's cool, meant you to cool you down. <laughs> yeah, as well as make you look incredibly manly <laughs> as you wipe it off your brow. Uh, Sujon Chowdhury, 263. Um, let us know if indeed it's a fan letter to Alistair Cook. Our next one, Liam Callaghan. Callaghan. I don't know which way you go on that, but you can let us know that as well. $1.85, and a clue from Liam said, one of the most underrated players of the last 20 years. Well, Liam, it could never be anything else, but get your bingo cards ready. Shane Robert Watson, (laughs) who, of course, made 185 not out against Bangladesh, his highest one-day international score. Notable mostly because that was the innings in which Watto hit 15 sixes. The the match being fairly ridiculous because this was in a run chase, Bangladesh making 229. Australia made 232 for one. Ran it down in 26 overs with Watson making 185 from 96 balls. And when you glance at the rest of the scorecard, Brad hadn't opened with him and made eight. 
Ricky Ponting was 37 not out and there were two extras. So Watson made all of the rest of the runs. I didn't realise it was that, uh, the, the innings was that short. Mm. I, I knew it was in a chase, but I didn't know they knocked it off him. Was it 26, 26 overs? 26 overs. <laughs> that, that really does. I mean, the Rohit Sharma, 2-6-4, I think, which is the record for one-day cricket. I mean, that would have been, I mean, what I would have, would have had that done inside 40 overs on the yeah. rate he was going. Yeah, I mean, that was, if you extrapolate that out across the 50 overs, he probably makes 360 of <laughs> Be still my beating heart. It's appropriate that comes up this week, actually, because there was a, a fantastic oral history of Shane Watson's first-class debut, mm. which was 20 years ago last month that appeared on the Cricket Australia website last weekend, I think it was, from Adam Burnett. So it's uh, worth a, a read at some stage. Just to get a sense of how rugged it was when mm. he appeared on the domestic stage with Tasmania, recruited, plucked from Queensland unexpectedly, and then he had to play against Queensland. And Stuart Law and Jimmy Ma weren't very nice to him, <laughs> needless to say. So it might have, yeah, it might have to an extent informed the the ride that Watto went on, which at times was a, a, a fraction emotional one and, you know, it w- mm. would have been a fairly uh, chastening way to start being abused by two very senior players of, from the Australian team or there and thereabouts. My brain just went, it was 20 years ago today that <laughs> Shane Robert Watson came to play. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'd sort of... I wouldn't say I enjoyed, but I found amusing the kind of rationale. Like, well, he left Queensland, so he had to be fucking horrible to him you know it was like yeah you definitely had to because i don't know states are important or something does anyone actually care what state they're from i suppose that was just before players moved around the way we kind Mm. of expect them to now so that might have had a little bit more to do with it and queensland was so successful and they were a bit of a dynasty really through that period in the late 90s but anyway i'm not justifying it i'm just thinking about why it would have been so dynasty is one of the great dramas one of the great soap operas i'll have to take your word for it the others were 185 (laughs) and i misread the clue and anyway i had athers 185 not out but he well i suppose his career sneaks in sneaks in he finished up in 2001 but it won't be that because of the time frame and i'm not saying that he's radically underrated but i think that people do misunderstand atherton when they look at his raw numbers and look at his batting average i mean he opened the batting in England in the 90s. It was hard yakka in that team, mm. leading that team and doing that job on those wickets. But enough Mike Atherton apologising for, for one episode. Uh, <laughs> the, the other man I had listed here was Marvin Adipadu. Again, doesn't quite, um, didn't play the majority of his cricket in the last 20 years. But mm. if he were from any other country, I reckon we'd know a lot more about Adipadu. 16 yeah. test tonnes, a high score of 249, averaged 40-odd, probably a bit more than that. And... Yeah, I don't think he now thinking about it. You know, mm. as you do in retrospect, he's recognised the way that he would be if he was from a different country. Let's say. Yeah, that's that's one way of putting it. I mean, I think it's notable with Marvin Adipadu that he overcame one of the worst ever starts in Test cricket mm. and managed to make a success of his career. Which you know that alone is is fairly remarkable. He made three ducks in a row in his yeah. first three innings in Test cricket, then made one in his fourth innings and then made two more ducks. So <laughs> one run in six innings, opening the batting to start his career before he started putting some runs together. Maybe uh, that's the, the the idea of continuing to pick through Amane at the moment, mm-hmm. who I think he averages 22 in Test cricket through about 50-odd Test matches. <laughs> he got yeah. a game this week at No, that's because everyone was injured. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I think it was six out of their squad. Where they were basically just like... You know, strapping up the physio and, and getting ready to send out whoever they could. So, 185 from Liam Callahan uh, is got to be Shane Watson. A double header from Nick Smythe and Shannon Blackmore. Blackmore's is another uh, skincare brand. <laughs> $6.64. And what might 664? 
four, suggest Adam. I reckon there's half a chance that Sam Robson's listening to this, and if he is, uh, hello Sam. He was the 664th mm-hmm. English Test cricketer. Oh, yeah. Of course, he grew up in Sydney, moved to England as a 18, 19-year-old Middlesex opening batsman uh, mm. at the moment, doing a fine job for the CXs. But yes, did play seven Test matches in 2014, scored a century at Leeds against the aforementioned Sri Lankans, and. Yes, he was cap number six six four. So I'll put that there for the time being. But uh, I really liked, I really liked looking back at a scorecard from two thousand and seven, which I'd never interrogated properly before. I knew that mm-hmm. India had gone big at the Oval in that series and, and made six six four. But statistically speaking, it's quite interesting that there's only one century, and it's Ramanul Kumway making one ten not out at number eight, and it was the only mm. century in Test cricket. Other than that. There were scores, I think there were, there were eight other scores between 35 and 92. So it was the kind of quintessential team effort uh, that week uh, at the Oval in 2007. I don't have it in front of me that it's a record, but I'm tipping it's one of those Andrew Sampson-style records where 110 is the lowest, highest score for anything that from 664 and yeah. above or some version of yeah. that. Yeah, or like yeah, the only score of that magnitude with one century in it, etc. And the other idea I had for six six Wait, is, four. Just quickly, is that the series where Ajita Gurkha made a hundred at Lords? Uh that was the one before. Okay. So the ton at Lords postdates the seven in a row against Australia across the 99, 2000 and 2001 series. Ajita Gurkha didn't reply oh, to my... Oh, yeah, it would be the one before, wouldn't it? Yeah, Ajita yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't reply to my WhatsApps to be a guest on the final frontier. Funny that. Um, <laughs> given that certainly would have been a line of conversation. Mm. We still discuss it. Damien Fleming's on the show this week. Gavin Robertson last week. Harsha Boglade the week before that. But... Uh, yeah, no, he made the 100 at Lords, which stands out. Perhaps not quite as much as Anil Kumle's, though, given that yeah. Kumle only made that, that one test it 100. Bad, though. He, he always seemed like the kind of lower-order player who might make 100 at some point. Yeah, and, and so true. when he did, it felt like it, it was something that should have happened rather than something that was surprising. And one other bowling analysis, if you see 664, it's probably bowling figures to mm. start with. Um, if you see 664, it means... The devil hasn't quite arrived. Yet. <laughs> yes. The devil's just WhatsApping you from the cab. He's like, I'll be there in a minute. They're, they're in two. Yeah. 1958 59, Melbourne Test match was pretty controversial for what happened in the second innings. Ian Meckiff running through England, taking six for 38. Australia bowl out England for 87. They go up 2 0 and they win the Ashes. And that's the first Test match where they've got cameras at the ground actually broadcasting properly, hmm. at least for portions of the day. And the suggestion always was that because it was broadcast, more people got a view of Meckiff's action, which led towards greater scrutiny. And, of course, mm. we know what happens a couple of years later when he's rubbed out of the game. Um, he, uh, you know, yeah, that, that's, sort of, that's the turning point for Meckiff. But earlier in the test, mm. in the first innings, the other left arm quick, Alan Davison, uh, took six for 64. The champion quick, still one of the, the best bowling averages ever uh, in test cricket. So that was a most influential test match in 1958. I see. Uh, all right. So those are your picks for six six four for Nick Smythe and Shannon Blackmore. Uh, you could also maybe throw in Shane Warne six for sixty four. Yeah. The MCG. Yep. That's that's one that might have seized the imagination of of some. It's not the hat trick innings, but it's the, it's the one before it. Yeah, it's the first innings. Yeah, the match. first dig when they played on Christmas Eve. They had a rest day on Christmas Day, then played on Boxing Day as, as day two and and so on. But yeah, in the first innings, uh, Warne ran a market. Mm. In the second innings, he did as well, but had some help from Fleming and McDermott and, and Co. So I asked you about Ajit Agurka almost purely to put the wind up Jeremy Burke, who's <laughs> our next nerd pledger, who originally sent us 
A pledge of six dollars. Okay. Uh, and with a clue that was six point zero 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 zero. And the original clue said the number of zeros is critical and has, as you'd imagine, a relationship to the digit on the left of the dot. But then a few weeks later. Jeremy Burke messaged in a panic saying, when listening to a recent story time, you two mentioned something that made me realise my pledge was well on your radar and mightn't give you any trouble at all. So rather than re-pledge and lose my place in the queue, I'll keep it at six bucks but replace my clue with another clue. Now, before we go (laughs) on to this, I should first say you can change your number and you won't lose your place. We just add your new number at, at the end and your original number stays in its place. But he was right that I was on to him straight away with this number because okay. 6.000000, five zeros in a row, is what uh, Ajit Agurka made in the series while touring Australia. Of course. When he made five ducks in a row. He added two more some years later when Australia yeah, played so him in Mumbai. first test match at Mumbai, he yeah, makes, a pair, makes to, a pair to complete the sequence. Yes, but he had made other runs between then in test cricket, but he did make five noughts consecutively um, mm. on that tour of Australia. And so that is what Jeremy Burke's getting at with the zeros. And the six, I assume, is because Ajit Agurka took six for at the Adelaide Oval, famously, in his best test bowling performance. Nice. To win a test match in 2003. So that was Jeremy's first clue. But then he's come back with this absolute monstrosity of a clue. <laughs> he's really <laughs> testing the friendship with this one because he said, we've got to work this out, right? And this is like some kind of cryptic crossword stuff. He says, you've always been extremely negative on this cricketer. But from this aspect, you'll need the combined might of the following to reach this number. And then he gives us seven clues, which are all supposed to be different cricketers. And one is, I'm, I'm just, there's nothing I can do but plough through this. We're just going to have yep, to lean. Do your thing. One is the captain who ended up coated in cream, which has to be Richie Benno. Yep. Number two, the tri-state Kiwi with the excellent CV. Uh, the initials C.V. Grimmett uh, would be Clary Grimmett, who played for Wellington, Victoria and South Australia. Wellington's not a state, but I suppose three domestic teams. Tri-state. I'm happy with yeah, that. Three, one ball does not a tour make, except in his case it did. It has to be referring to Shane Warne in 1993, I assume. Yes. The most famous delivery. One ball does not make it. Yeah, yeah, okay, let's do I, it. I mean, yep. unless it's someone who bowled one ball literally on a tour, but... It wouldn't make the tour. This is the one ball that makes the tour. Right, right? of course, yep. And it's his first ball in Ashes cricket, so surely that's got to be it. Number four, there are seven of these. Number four, the frog jokester who saw an opening even though it was a teammate who got the big break. Now, that's got to be a reference to Kerry O'Keefe who made a joke about a frog famously and I'm assuming didn't turn the leg break very far so other teammates got the big (laughs) break, turned it further. Okay, Number five, the former chairman who's been given another pick. It's got to be Trevor Holmes. Cracker, as they call him. It's a terrible nickname. Cracker. Hey, Cracker. Going to have Cracker up tomorrow. Yeah, get Cracker out in here. Cracker under embargo. Oh, Crackery. Cracker. You should get Cracker to embargo. Cracker Meister. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) What a time. Get him on the sawdust dance floors. Dance floors? Dance floors. Dance floors. Dance floors. Get him on get, get a few Jager bombs. Oh, Stoke. yeah. I, Plastic I, cups. I potentially had a few Jager bombs at Ben Stokes in court. Potentially. <laughs> potentially. I potentially <laughs> had a few Jager bombs. Yeah. Your Honour, <laughs> I would like to state to the court that potentially. Um, right. So, so, so that's going to be Holmes. Number six. The elegant schoolmaster's great-grandfather. This one's a bit more oblique, but Paul Sheehan was a schoolmaster mm. who was known as an elegant 
player and his great-grandfather was William Cooper who played a test match in 1881 as a rather older man and thus is Australia's earliest born test cricketer. Oh, very good. Thank you. And number seven... Or I might not try to segue into the Libby John game there, but anyway, move on. <laughs> number seven, the man who, if you're only as good as your last innings, has to be the most overhyped sportsman in history. <laughs> That's got to be DG Bradman. Now, what do they all have in common? They're all league spin bowlers. They all bowled league breaks. Of course. But... Jeremy says, style all these guys correctly and you've got it. So you have to combine them in some way, but you've got to reach a number. And so I was trying to (laughs) spell different names out of their initials and stuff. I've looked at combining all of their career numbers in various ways and nothing reaches six. So frankly... I don't have a fucking Scooby-Doo um, what the end of this is, but I got all the other bits right, so I feel like I've done enough. This is one of these that Dane Hanstead is going to work it in out. in a minute. So, so the commonality, let's go through the names one more time. So They're all uh, leggies. Benno, Grimmett, Grimmett Warren, O'Keefe, Hones, William Cooper, 1881 in brackets. Yep. Bradman. Mm-hmm. So Dane Hanstead, he's the the man most likely. Yeah. Abby Sim, uh, Abby Sim will be the woman most likely yep. out of our DMs who often go away and work out the stuff that we can't quite get, and that is about as cryptic as we've ever seen. So did, thank you, Jeremy Burke. Did you are you aware from the you would be from the message inbox that Dane Hanstead um, makes donuts in a bakery in northeast? I, I do know this. If Dane, if we ever come through your town, get ready, big fella. We're going to descend on your place of business like an Egyptian locust plague. And I think Abby Sim, while we're d- to drawing that link back to that, I think she was drinking a chocolate milk yesterday, wasn't she, watching the cricket? We As saw that should. pop up on our Instagram page. Anyway, good, good evening to you both. Forgive me for not remembering who sent this message, but we did get a message from someone saying, I've never done this before, but I found myself looking for novelty-flavoured milks <laughs> in the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to, you know, like, I'm glad that we can help you through your your curious phase. Well, all I want to say is, given we're starting a new year, and when you get to a new year, you often need to sort out your commercial arrangements again. Mm. If anyone knows anyone that works for Oak, just sing out. Let us know. <laughs> we do so much free PR for them really, through this yeah. podcast. We would love to have a formal relationship with them, but we don't fucking know anyone that works there. Yeah. I would so. like to do a photo shoot where I'm in a bath of jam ball donut flavoured <laughs> yes, milk, exactly. for instance. Like, why not? If it's good enough for a Canberra Raiders player, why not me? Someone who's listening must know somebody who knows somebody who works at Oak. If you do, hit us up, finalworkcricket at gmail.com. So that's Jeremy Burke with the six. Jeremy, what I'm going to say is I've worked out most of it. Just just put me out of my misery here because um, <laughs> I've done the yards for you. Elliot Diamond, the next one, at $1.95. And there's, there's quite a good clue here, which is a true great of Australian domestic cricket, but not necessarily referring to their primary skill late in their career. But, Adam, after a lot of clue searching, I got to this and my brain just ground to a halt. And I was like, I, I don't know. I can't. I spent some time trying to work out bowlers who may have made 195 and got nowhere. Had we been looking for a batsman above 200 in first-class mm. cricket, we would have had We'd more of a chance because <laughs> there, there, there is a website. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you where. There is a website that has every double hundred in first-class cricket listed. and um, that give away our secrets. <laughs> I'll try not to give away our secrets. But Elliot Diamond, in this case, this might alongside... I mean, I know you've already done the work on Jeremy Burke and we kind of handballed that to the crowd. Mm. This is the actual handball to the crowd. If you can work out what this means, a true great of Australian domestic cricket, but not necessarily referring to their primary skill late in their career, mm-hmm. 195, let us know. Send us a DM. 
drop us a line on Twitter or anywhere else for that matter. Elliot Diamond, I, I don't want you to feel that you're not loved and, and valued. You are. It's just that we're very tired <laughs> and we're not allowed to change the order of the numbers. Otherwise, I might have just put this back a week and tried to think about it some more. But that's that's where we are. We're at it. One thing you can say about Elliot Diamond, nobody could call him square. You know? <laughs> nobody. <laughs> Shines bright like a... Like a, like a. So, so our next one, Adam's a triple header, and this is this is all for you. I, I'm going to unleash you into a meadow of flowers here. It's one dollar seventy three. It comes in from Cam again, and Jack Fane and Daniel Hill. What a trio! Just one more in there, and you'd have a dream dinner party all lined up. So Cam and Jack and Daniel. Jack gave a clue, which said. More from my generation than those who saw Dino in the flesh, by which I suppose he means I am younger than you guys. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Yeah, yeah. And, and to that end, I just stuck with the Victorian theme there to begin with anyway. So there's a lot of good options here for 173, and I'm looking forward to pacing through them. But my friend and colleague's high score in Test cricket, Chris Rogers, uh, he made 173 at Law today. Yeah. That we enjoyed an awful lot. Uh, he made... One seven three. Smith made two one five, if I recall correctly. Sounds right. About that. Maybe it was two ten. Sweeping Joe Root. Maybe it was Labuschagne that made two one five last year, and and Smith made two ten. I think that's right. That sounds. Anyway, he made about that many runs after after making a one ninety nine at Jamaica a couple of months earlier, and he was really shitty with himself. And then he went ahead and made the the double at Lords. But yes, no. Rogers' innings was flawless and absolutely superb Mm. on that first day. I remember used the the slope. Everything was just. Back cutting down the slope, exactly. like late cuts down the hill. This is it. It was all that expert knowledge having captain the club at Middlesex mm. and played so many years of county cricket that it's like, no, no, I got this. If I'm going to get mm. a chance to play at Lords, of course, he played there in 2013 and got out, you know, leg before wicket to a full toss that wasn't hit him in the, the stomach. And, you know, hit him in the stomach. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, as, as you pointed out in your video at the time, he didn't have a review to use because Shane Watson had used it yeah. already. Something like that. But I 2015, think they had two, but what I would already burned the first one and Rogers was trying to be the good bloke, be the good right. team man and, and don't use it up early. So. Yeah, so one of the 500s that Rogers made uh, in his 25 test matches averaged about 45 in, Mind in you, that form of the game. Rogers did tell Watson to take that review. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Watson got stitched up completely. Rogers was like, nah, nah, it's going down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'll put that to him tomorrow. See if he remembers it that way. He, he confessed as much. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 173 for Chris, who may be listening. I know he listens sometimes. I doubt he listens to story time, though, to be fair. <laughs> uh, 173 is also the highest score of another final word fave, a final word hero, the great Stoddy, the inexhaustible A.E. Stoddard. His highest score in... Test cricket was one seven three back in what like nineteen ten or something. Oh well, we're, when we're, was when was Stoddart coming around? His debut is in the late eighteen hundreds at first class level. I think he might have just ticked over to the early nineteen hundreds by the time that he's playing for England. So in and around there, I'm not yep. I'm not sure what year that he that he made his one hundred seventy three. No, no, just, just vaguely, just era ish. Now my suggestion for this for one seven three in a in a modern era, you know things. Not for old people who watch Dean Jones. The 2019 Ashes, Manchester, on the last day. Who was the deciding influence on the last day, Adam? Uh, Manus. Mm, well, leg break. Yeah, but who, who was the who was really the, who was really the key on the final day? Um, Manchester was it Josh Hazelwood? Yes, it was yes, Josh Hazelwood. So, yes. It was, and <laughs> had to rejig the brain there for a moment. Yeah. It's funny the things you don't remember, but um, yeah, no, it was. Well, he got the last wicket, but he also got a number of others through the day. Right, and he did so by bowling seventeen point three overs in oh, one seven three. Very, very good, Jeff. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. It was the review, wasn't it? I've got a photo of that um, of them waiting for yeah. the for the. Uh, I'm just side on on the balcony there at the Old Trafford press box, mm. and of them sort of haunched over watching the screen, yeah. and then Tim Payne sprinting at the yeah. non-existent camera to to celebrate. All of which that. takes on a very different character when you've subsequently found out that Tim Payne had recently shot himself. Yes, that's uh, right, and was just just had as like a nappy full, as you would be very familiar with at that moment of celebration, like running into to wave his gloves at the camera with pants full of shit. I mean, it's it's a remarkable thing to know about that moment. Yeah, it yeah. changes it for me. It's a big part of the Tim Payne story. At some point, we'll get a chance to talk to Tim Payne in the final word. Trust me, we've tried, and, and when we do, that probably won't come up because we often avoid the obvious question yeah. on, with our guests. But uh, it might. We'll see. We we certainly talked about Matt Renshaw when he shut himself on yeah, the bigger field. We Probably about half the interview. Yeah. It's about 24 minutes on that. Right. So, Jeff, we've got a number of options there for 173, but a final word story time wouldn't be complete without. Yes, Jeff, the first dusty old bastard of 2021. I had to find a way through here. It wouldn't have been good and proper if I didn't. And you're going to like this because it ticks an awful lot of boxes in Jeff Lemonland. First of all, his name. Our dusty old bastard, if you're not familiar, if you're new to the show, I'll go back and look at an English, usually an English player. um, (laughs) They go back longer than anyone else. There are more of them and they're more weird. Well, well, uh, uh, there are a great many English players that played a couple of test matches and carry with them a weird story and or, or at least a, a story which is nothing like that mm. that we're used to in, in modern cricket or professional cricket or, or anything like that. So the 173rd Englishman to play test cricket was a man by the name of Septimus Kinnear, known as Sept by his mates. <laughs> Sep Kinnear. Septimus Kinnear. Septimus Kinnear. That sounds like a J.K. Rowling character. Well, yeah, well, he was player 173, known as Sep. He got on the Ashes Tour of 11-12 after this massive year in 1911, as a 40-year-old. So, again, it's this idea mm. of players in that, for whatever reason... Was he the seventh child? Did he have seven? Did he have six siblings? Well, I, I, what I was going to say at the end of this story, and I'll jump forward here, there's not a lot about Sep on the internet. Okay. Strangely, I know he's left-handed, mm-hmm. and I know about his cricketing career. I've gone and Sinister. looked at his numbers. But Sinister Septimus. Sinister Seven. But if, if you know more about Sep, I, I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear it. Cause but Septimus, I think, if my terrible Latin is anything means seventh. If my Latin is anything to go by. If my Latin is anything to go by. by. The only Latin I know is quid pro quo (laughs) and like, (laughs) and I know that QED stands for something. But what I mean is like trying to understand the roots of English words that have Latin roots. Septimus would mean the seventh, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll find out. Hopefully there's, um, there's more about him out there that, that isn't sort of in the usual yeah. Places you might look. So he he had his as in Optimus is the first, like Optimus Prime is the first Prime and Septimus Prime is like seven robots down the list. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let me, get the seventh best robot truck. Let me tell you about Sep and how he got on this tour. So okay. he debuted back in eighteen ninety eight for Warwickshire and you know had your kind of quintessential professional career. Some seasons that went well, other seasons that didn't. Mm-hmm. He wasn't prolific. He. His best yep. season until 1911 was four centuries and averaging 50-odd, you know, no, not bad numbers, but sort of not the sort of guy who's going to end up representing his country. But in 1911, that all changed. At age 40, he piled on 16-29 runs at 49, including an unbeaten 268, uh, which, of course, is the number that Zach Crawley made this year when uh, he made his first mm. test tons. So we've dealt with 268 a bit on the final word recently. But anyway, he gets on the tour... 
And because, you know, he's the man in form, he gets picked in the first test match, which was at the Sydney Cricket Ground uh, in December 1911. So the New Year's test match in Sydney is not traditional. Mm -hmm. No more traditional than cauliflower Christmas. So he opens the batting, uh, (laughs) age 41. In the first dig, makes 22. In the second dig, makes 30. I would say pretty reasonable return. Yep. In te- first test, you know, like it's a sturdy start. You've seen the shine off the new ball. Mm. You haven't been overawed by the occasion. Matthew Wade got pumped up in Adelaide for making 35 and 8. Yeah. I so mean, you know, there have been taboos with more made of them with less runs on the board. Anyway, England do lose that test by 147 runs, but they're not they're not thrashed. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a huge beating in the broader scheme of things, given it was a timeless test match. And he sacked, and that's it. Never that's to it. be recalled. He only played four more tour games. Well, he only played four tour games in addition to the Test match, and didn't do well. But um, yeah, not given another opportunity. And in 1914, when the First World War put a stop to things, he also stopped uh, wow. his first-class career. But yeah, I'm keen to learn more about Sep Kinnear, who is this week's dusty old bastard. Wow, Septimus Prime. Um, thank you. Adam for sharing just that excellent name <laughs> with me. Um, we'll see what if, if anybody out there is related to Zeptonus Kinnear, drop us a line. Uh, that was a very long way through 173, but it was for three people. So fair enough too. 362. Michelle Garland has all on her own. $3.62. Uh, what might 362... Wait, is that the Headingley number? It, it is the Headingley yeah. number. So <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to put that in there. I was going to let you just do that. But yes, that's the yeah. Ben Stokes miracle number. Mm-hmm. So it's probably that. It's probably that. Knowing Michelle as we do and loving Michelle as we do, it's one of our very, very favourite people in all the final word world, mm-hmm. it's almost certainly that. But well, I just... you know what happened. <laughs> you know what happened in that one. And if you don't, go back and listen to the final word, Ashes Daily, Headingley Day 4, which is still, I think, I most listened to. It's our second now. Oh, second. Because our NASA Hussein interview yeah. undertook it yeah, right. uh, during the Christmas period, which was mm. unusual. It had a, a big spike of listens over Christmas. I don't mm. know who's out there thinking, I want to hear NASA <laughs> in a two-hour conversation from lockdown. <laughs> with two Australians. With two Australians. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a fucking good interview, but I don't know why it had this spike in, in December, but there we go. Um, it's no, um, beginning to feel a lot like NASA Hussein <laughs> at Christmas. Talking of one test players, Phil yeah. Emery played one test match in mm. Pakistan in, in 1994. And then and he I'm, got... Phil Emery board. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I just wanted to mention that to uh, give a, a plug to the Dan Breddy piece that came out a few weeks ago about that test match. Mm-hmm. It was the final series that wasn't broadcast back to Australia in, in any form. So there's not a lot to go from in terms of footage other than what they got from Pakistan a few years ago. So Flemo got to see the original version of his hat trick with the, with the local commentary and so on. But yeah, Phil Emery's story from being plucked and then dropped into the test team is an incredible mm. one, and, and Dan tells it well with him via an interview. Uh, Imran Khan, of course, you know, 362 test wickets at 22.8, along with six tons and an average of 38 with the bat, who is very much the best, much the best, as, uh, as, as a couple of friends of mine would say. Uh, much the best was Imran Khan for Pakistan, who uh, played all the way from 1971 to 1992 when he lifted the World Cup the cornered Tigers so Mm. we haven't really done the Imran Khan story justice on story time in the past but I'm sure we will at some stage. I think enough is sort of known about Imran Khan given that he's you know the Prime Minister of a nation of several hundred million people I feel like Imran Khan's good for press (laughs) (laughs) like like, you know Septimus Kinnear probably needs us more than Imran Khan let's just put it that way so Michelle let us know if we're if we're there or if we're thereabouts Michael Edelstein Six dollars seventy nine, six seventy nine. That was one of those numbers that I was like, "Ooh, here's a little memory twinge." 
That's what Pat Cummins took on debut in Johannesburg, six for 79 in the second innings. Took one for in the first. Got Hashim Amlar out, so it's not like it was a disastrous first innings. And then ran through them in the second, got Callis out, got AB de Villiers out, cleaned up the tail, and that kept the run chase to 310, which ended up being attainable because Ponting made runs and Mitchell Johnson and Cummins ended up batting together at the end. 13 not out for Pat Cummins in the run chase and got them home at the tender age of 18 and didn't play another test until 2017. Hit the winning runs and mm. all the rest. Yeah, the uh, I have a great memory of, uh, of having to find a pub to watch that. I was living mm. in the UK at the time, hadn't long been there uh, in that particular stint and rushed to the... It's either the ball and salmon or the salmon and ball, one or the other, in Bethnal Green. Two um, things that go together in my experience. Naturally. Yeah. And, uh, and they did have the cable subscription so I, I um, piled in there and, and spent an afternoon watching Pat Cummins run amok and sort of think on my own as you do sure, thinking yeah. to myself this is going to be just the best watching this guy's career and as it turns yeah. out I was right you were it was you just had to wait a little while why did you go into That's the market? a good point actually 10 years on <laughs> yeah. I called his wicket today uh, that of Shubman Gill was it not who was yeah, yeah off, off Pat Cummins and I suppose 10 years on from that not quite but you know it was 2011 November now we're into 2021 and his career has been an utter joy to cover and now mm. to commentate on so happy days I was just imagining like going to the, the fresh produce market and can I have one salmon and one bull uh, it doesn't, doesn't really work out <laughs> pubs sort your lives out uh, double header for our this is our last number we're doing a stack of new numbers and this is the last one before we breathe in breathe out and, and look at the revisits this comes from Rory Seymour and Simon open inverted commas old close inverted commas Trafford their number is one dollar seventy five or one pound seventy five? I'd guess in Simon's case, one seven five. A score someone made for an unfashionable county was the hint from Rory. Uh, as per my description of the counties, one of the ones in the middle. <laughs> by which I can only conclude that David Capel made a highest first class score of one hundred and seventy five in a career of about. 20,000 runs across formats for Northamptonshire, which is definitely one of the ones in the middle and definitely unfashionable. He was one of those players who got cursed with the tag of being the next someone else in that he was a bit of an all-rounder sort of after Botham's era. And obviously that was hard to live up to because who can? But he did play for England, played... He did. Oh, played 15 tests Yeah, 15 so, tests, 30-odd one day or something like that over... Um, few years, late 80s, early 90s. And had a quite impressive test debut where he came in at five for bugger all and made a 50 against Imran Khan and was a Makram when they were smashing up England for Pakistan. So that was my guess for 175. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and of course uh, now the late David Capel because he passed away um, Mm. late last year and you can tell from the tributes uh, that he was really highly regarded, not just as a a player in his career with Northampton England, but as a coach and sort of a mentor to a lot of players off the field too. So uh, left a massive legacy in the game in England. So I think that's only fitting that he gets a mention on the first edition of Storytime in 2021. And then the other option for Simon Trafford, 175, we can have a number from all the way back at the beginning or a number from very recently. Going back, Ranjit Sinji, the, the great Indian batsman who went to England and became a, a superstar and opened up scoring on the leg side because nobody had thought of that before. They're like, oh, we could just hit it in the other direction. <laughs> that one works as well. He made 175 
in the 1897 Ashes Test at the SCG, given we're having Sydney Test Match talk. Big theme this week, SCG and the numbers, isn't it? Yeah, and won the first Ashes Test of that tour with his 175. And it's also what Eunice Khan made at the SCG many years later, 120 years later, when he finished up that Pakistan series in 1617. And by making that 100 at the SCG, he completed a unique set which is that he'd already made hundreds against every test opponent he'd played, but he hadn't made a hundred in Australia. And so in doing so, he'd made a hundred in every, at the time, every test playing country. He hasn't made one in Afghanistan or Ireland because he didn't play there, but, and they weren't test countries at the time, but he's made test hundreds in the UAE plus all other 10 at the time test playing. Huh. Well, all of the 10 test playing nations yeah. plus the UAE, which is where Pakistan were playing. So everywhere where test cricket was played, he had made tons at the time. And I think he's still disappointed this, didn't he? I think because from memory, he finished up on like 9,980 runs or something <laughs> like that. And we, we just fell short of yep. seeing him past 10,000. So, But he um, did join the very exclusive club of batsmen who made more hundreds and fifties with that innings as well because that took him to 34 tons and 33.50. You must have been very excited by I Stephen was. Smith's 100 today. I am. <laughs> so there's lots to take from that, isn't yeah. it? So his home hundreds go to 14, his away yeah. hundreds 13, mm-hmm. and he's just gone ahead he's in hundreds against fifties again, I think, as well. Was he yeah. Was he 27 hundreds, 28 uh, Pretty much he's there and thereabouts to getting into that category. He, he was more hundreds and fifties by three or four and then that levelled up during the Ashes when he kept getting out for 80s and 90s. Right. Even though he made 100s as well. It, it sort of... Get your fucking shit together. Yeah, sort it out, Steve. Stop getting out for 88. What a terrible score. But he's got the opportunity to keep going, but there are not many of them. There are very few players with Michael more Clark. Of it. Michael Clark by one. There are a few players who scrape by, you know, by one or two. But, okay. But it's not. one of those spreadsheets you keep and it update is. routinely. It is. George Headley's the only one who absolutely canes it in, yep. aside from Bradman, with, I think, 10, 10 hundreds and five fifties, I reckon, okay. for Headley. And Bradman, of course, is 29 and 13, I think. I know that Simon Old Trafford is a, a big fan of the innings that was played at Melbourne, just down the road here at the Centenary Test mm. by Derek Randall, the 174. So oh, I'm yeah. not sure if it's a sequential thing like whether whether he's sort of advanced I think 174 might be an old pledge of his now it's 175 and mm. whether those two numbers intersect but on that basis of the is Eunice Khan better than Derek Randall yes. but I, I think he, he I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, doffing mm. his lid as it were to Ranji he's okay. a, a friend of the history of the game ah, we'll Derek, Derek Randall Sinji of course <laughs> the great the great pioneer who opened up the league side anyway those are our new numbers for the day that's it so if you want to send us a nerd pledge number very easy go to patron.com slash the final word patron is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N who knows why and there you will be able to subscribe to the show help us do what we're doing and uh, send us strange messages full of numbers that you've been thinking about because why not i think we'll we'll breathe in we'll breathe out we'll gaze at the beautifully lit melbourne cbd skyline and then we will be back with the revisits on the back half of Storytime. hi my name's kate cross and you're listening to the final word with adam and jeff jeff the lord's taverners are an organization that we have worked with throughout 2020 and it was a really tough year for or really any charitable organisation. The Lord's Tabs have done such outstanding work in the community via cricket principally over seven decades. And usually at Christmas time, they're able to do a lot of, lot of fundraising. They're able to bring in a lot of cash, which helps 
sustain the programs they run through the 12 months of the year. Of course, this year, with everything that happened in the UK towards the end of 2020, that simply wasn't possible. So we're in a situation now in early 2021 where we want to basically play our part, do our bit in promoting the great work that Lord's Taverners do, especially through this ongoing nightmare that is COVID in the UK and draw awareness to where we can provide a little bit of support to make sure uh, that they'll be in a position to run these programs through 2021, come what may. Obviously, the easiest way for charities to fundraise is face-to-face, you know, events in person. We're seeing this with the McGrath Foundation stuff at the SCG where they can't have their money collectors going around getting donations and and all the rest of it. It makes things really hard, and particularly the situation in the UK being as awful as it is, what the Lord's Taverners do is going to be needed even more in the months ahead as well. You know, principally they're about looking after particularly young people who are living with disability or living with disadvantage and they're about trying to create some sort of social support network, places that kids can go, activities they can get involved in, friends they can make, sports they can play and the sorts of things that that are so important. But it's going to be even more important as the UK comes out of, you know, the third lockdown they're going into, the incredible numbers of people dying and the misery going on over there, it's it's going to have a huge social toll into the future. It's not just about what's happening now. So that's what an organisation like the Lord's Taverners is going to try to firewall against as they go on into the future. And so th- that's why we want to help them yeah. try to get a bit of a war chest together so they can do that yeah that, that's well put it it's uh filling the gap that that otherwise wouldn't be there and we know that everybody knows that the way that isolation and loneliness um, have been intersecting through the last nine nearly 12 months now yeah and we know that uh, the feelings that are commonly experienced with people who um, go through isolation and loneliness are exacerbated with disability or disadvantage and young people that live with disability are twice as likely to experience feelings of loneliness so it's quite acute and yeah the taverners programs directly tackle those feelings by providing new opportunities to meet new friends socially engage and develop a, a wide range of personal skills and that goes beyond just the here and now it's also about like, as we talked about earlier in the year working to make sure that there's a more cohesive community uh, working uh, at tackling radicalization for example yeah. they've got a, a broad remit and that's what you could do when you've been in the community for seven decades when you're so respected when so many people have been touched by the work that taverners do and this is where I, I hope that the final word can play some role in in making a contribution across the board to make sure that 2021 is a better year than 2020. So the brass tax bit is that basically anyone who can afford to chip in you know, a coffee a month or a beer a month, probably not even a beer, it's probably like two cans of AC cola a month, <laughs> you know, three quid, five bucks, whatever it might be, depending on your currency, that much, three pounds makes sure that a child can attend a program throughout the year. That's the kind of economy of scale that the taverners are working at. So you can make a difference with a small donation and if you'd like to do that and you're able to do that, just go to lordstaverners.org and you can see all of their programs and how you might be able to help. Yeah, I think that's a really important point about the scale and the size of the operation that three quid a month, five dollars a month, lordstaverners.org, as they put here, essentially that a cup of coffee a month, that's all it will take for a young disadvantaged child to be able to access these crucial life-changing programs throughout the course of 2021. So consider it, lordstaverners.org. 
Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word story time with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. This is the part of the show where we might normally have an interview from Adam's Calling the Shots archive or a bit from somebody else or things that we've polished up to put in this back half of the show. But sorry, it's just us again. If you're still here, <laughs> more power to you. Uh, Plenty no- more Calling the Shots interviews to come, by the way. Yeah. We just thought we've got so much stuff to get through this week, being the first show back for 2021 that, yeah, we'll be back with more interviews in the coming weeks, let's put it that way. Yeah, we've just got a lot of numbers to deal with and the people who are sending the numbers enjoy us dealing with the numbers, it seems, so we're going to keep doing it. The revisits, the ones we didn't get right and we've got to come back to. 281 from Dom Philp, who sent that through. We looked at it oh, a couple of weeks ago whenever we last did story time. I think we suggested it was either VVS Laxman's 281 or... John War's cap number. Dom said, uh, thanks for including me on Storytime. As one of those weird Aussie kids who grew up as a sympathiser to other nations consistently crushed by Taylor and Steve War's men, the Laxman innings is one that stands out in my memories. The John War story was particularly interesting as a Middlesex convert. And I'm proud that I could inspire a dusty old bastard story, but for the record, it was neither of these things. The clue from Dom is, if my contribution could have been only one more penny, one great season would have been a completely different story. Adam? Yes. I feel kind of embarrassed that I got nowhere near this. I was all over the place trying to work out where we were meant to be here. on the back of that clue and it took you reading it once you're like oh it's that I'm like it can't be that and you're like it is that I will check it is that and it, it is so you know, <laughs> over to you we did discuss it just before we came on I was like clearly someone who says one great season which is the name of your other podcast <laughs> is something that that you know might have might have triggered a, a little memory twinge uh, if you add one more thing to something that involves a greatest season that was podcast which you did an entire one about the 1999 World Cup semi-final. And uh, as it turns out, if they'd added one more run in that game, that would have been important. And I was like, how many runs did Lance Klusner make in the 1999 World Cup? 281. I didn't know that, I, but I was like, I'm sure it's he going did know to it, be that. You? The way you said it, you were like, oh, it's that. I'm like, yeah. no. I'm like, no, he must have made... No, no, he, that's, that's, that's what he made. And had he made, he made one more run per the clue, mm-hmm. it would have been a very different story. So thank you to Dom for helping Jeff solve that, not me. And <laughs> if you are not a listener to The Greatest Season That Was, we're really pumped about the cricket series we've got going at the moment, about the India-Australia rivalry between 1991 and 2001. It's called Final Frontier. People seem to be really enjoying it. Not just about the cricket, but kind of the politics of why this rivalry didn't exist and went from kind of nothing to the most important rivalry in cricket, financially at the very least, uh, by the end of that decade. So the greatest season that was is the podcast feed. Final Frontier is the series name. You'll find it on the Bad Producer Productions website if you don't find it through your Google engine. If you don't find our editor, DC, weeping in a small puddle on the floor after (laughs) all of the work to assemble that show and this show. Uh, our revisit from George Norman, the $10.20 that he intended to be a 102. This is George Norman, of course, who dropped you off a lot of donuts in quarantine, Adam. Just like the best bloke. He dropped us. <laughs> he, he, he gave Winnie her first 
uh, taste of Vegemite via the... Remember those Vegemite cheese scrolls you get when you're a kid from the bakery? Not when George I was a kid, Nor- when I was hung over <laughs> as a 19-year-old. Well, George makes them, and now Winnie enjoys those, so here we are. Yeah, the number... Good stuff. The number of days at university that were just spent with a couple of Vegemite <laughs> scrolls, like, curled up in a ball, weeping like DC. So, so the 102... It, We'd figured that it related to women's cricket. We went through a bunch of options. None of them are currently it. I know this is not related because it is related to women's cricket, but I thought it was interesting to note that Suresh Raina currently has 102 IPL catches and 102 catches in one-day internationals. That's pretty good. It's quite the quite the thing to be able to find. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> well, is he going to keep playing IPL? I yeah. know he's pulled the pin in, in one-day international cricket. I'm pretty sure he's going to play IPL. <laughs> Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? He played Why at least 48. He? Like, <laughs> as long as you can keep getting the marquee player contract, um, keep rolling it out. Dane Fannikirk has played 102 one-day internationals. Um, so, you know, that doesn't seem that very exciting number, though. The only thing I could come up with was, like, maybe it's not 102... But Betty Wilson, the great Australian test player, took 10 wickets in a test match on two occasions. Now, that's only she's the only player to do that in women's test cricket because most women's players don't get to play more than five or six test matches. So 10 and 2, if you're putting 102, you're saying 10 and 2, it could be two tenfers. I can see it. Because Betty Wilson yeah. took two tenfers in test cricket. Yep. She played 11 test matches. The best bit is that she did that in her first two tests. <laughs> she took 10 for, and well, 10 for and then 11 for, or the, or the other way around. One of them was against New Zealand in Wellington, and one was a, an Ashes test against England in Melbourne. In her third test, she took nine wickets, <laughs> not 10 or 11. Uh, also averaged 57 with the bat while averaging 11 with the ball. So, Crazy. Betty Wilson, uh, <laughs> that might be where George Norman's going. If not, George, I think I'm out of ideas. No, I think, I think that is right, because, well, it, it, it's a decent chance chance of being right because George steered us away from runs and wickets mm. and I know it's 10 wickets but yeah. that's not what 102 it's ten, intersects ten with it's a 10 wicket match yes not a number of wickets so okay. that, that's where I went with that uh, you looked at James Tiernan's 3.12 or 3.12 oh, yes, or 31.2 which was which was Ray Illingworth's bowling average that was your suggestion yeah because the clue was northeast England mm-hmm. and I thought well Illy great Yorkshireman and so on, and we told the story of his career. Does Yorkshire count as east? Well, northeast. If you look at it as it relates to yeah. the rest of England, you'd, you'd say I mean, it's, it's very north. But it's kind of, isn't yeah, it? I, I think well, yes, it's in the it's, middle. It's, it's, there's no county further to the east than Yorkshire on the on the far extremity there. So yeah, I think I think it's fine to say that's northeast. You certainly didn't push back on no. that, James. I guess in like in my brain, Yorkshire is sort of next to Manchester, like Leeds and Manchester are close together. Which yeah, seems well, it's more. West. Well, they're two massive counties, aren't they? Yeah. Lancashire and Yorkshire, so they almost span the, the country, I suppose, off the top of my head. But anyway, James came back to us and said that he enjoyed our conversation about Ray Ellingworth, but to aim further north and noting that it was a domestic first, and that mm. was enough for me on that one. So, because we only talked about this like two weeks ago, we talked about Jeff Cook uh, being the, uh, the sort of the, the, the czar of. Durham cricket uh, mm. through that period of time. Of course, they... they the Russian infiltr- infiltration of the UK is really going crazy, <laughs> isn't it? With, they've installed a czar in Durham. Yeah, so he was... Uh, well, you know, he, he led the county in different ways from their inception in, in 1992. But in 2007, they won mm. their first trophy, which was the 
Friends, Prudential, something like that. It was the 50 over cup, whatever. The, uh, yeah. you know, the, the 50 over cup, they won at Lords in 2007. Um, they played Hampshire in the final and they made 312 for five from nice. their 50 overs. And they pumped Hampshire, who were all out for 187. Their first trophy, it was a very windy steam. Shivnarayan Chandapal made 78 when they were batting and Otis Gibson took three for 24, uh, including uh, picking up Kevin Peterson for 12 to Danger Man for Hans uh, when they were defending that score and they ended up, yeah, knocking mm. him off for 187 and uh, did it with a leg in the air. So um, that surely is where James Tiernan was for 3-1 too. Yep, I, I like it. I can work with it and, you know, I mean... Once it, Durham winning things, that's that's kind of nice. It doesn't hasn't happened a whole lot. Yeah, I, I think if Durham isn't your second favourite county, I, I suppose that this would. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure anyone from Yorkshire or anyone mm. up north would uh, think this is heresy. But I think for if you're a, a casual fan of the county championship, yep. say that you know they, they have that Fitzroy vibe. They're, they're your second club, probably. They're the given New- they given the the treatment they had from the ECB a couple of years ago as well. In cricket terms, they're the New Zealand. That's it. That's a better England way of putting County it. Cricket. And also, by the way, you, you and I have both spent time in Durham. It is a fucking stunning part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I know that Sunderland isn't quite Durham, but I've had the great fortune of spending plenty of time up in Sunderland. And yeah. it is just... It, look, if my life was slightly different, I'd love to relocate up there. I can say that standing in Durham Cathedral is one of those times when I thought, I don't believe in this stuff, but I can see why... People, people do, do. Yeah. or I can see why they built the buildings to make people <laughs> believe it because that sense of awe and stillness of the perfect use of space, you know, the the, the perfection of architectural design, it's it's something pretty special. Well, speaking of, of course, that's the part of the world we're in a castle. Shane Watson got <laughs> to go full circle from our yeah. conversation earlier. Uh, Shane Watson got quite freaked out and ended mm-hmm. up on Brett Lee's floor, but, you know, that's a, that's a different story altogether. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say something about ending up on Brett Lee's floor, but I won't. Um, It'll get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know what it was. It's just something about the image sounded funny. Search it on Twitter. Everyone else is doing it. (laughs) All right. Our next revisit is from Sam Chappell, my club mate. Very sad news that Dan O'Connell has been sold to a private school. I don't know what they're going to do with it. We walked past it a couple of days ago. We were gutted that there was no chance to go in there. Mm Mm-hmm. Sam Chappell, of course, former White Lime Wireless colleague of yep. ours as well. Yep. Hello, Hello, Sam. Alumnus and played for the Dan O'Connell pub cricket team. But the, the, the Dan O'Connell, a great Irish pub in Carlton that's been going since what, the 1880s or something, probably earlier than Clem Hill, the Dan O'Connell. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's fun. the freehold's been sold off and uh, it's going to be turned into a clarinet academy or something for the poor underprivileged kids of whatever school still wear straw hats. Oh, that's galling news. Yeah. I hope the club, I'm sure the club will, will continue. The club will continue, but then it's like you, you've got to find, you've got to, then you become one of those teams that has to migrate to another pub and it's never quite the same. And like, you know, if, if you go and become the old bar team or something, then it's just chemically unsustainable for, <laughs> for people of a certain age. You need, to, you need to be 23 if you're in the old bar team, not yeah. 33. I'm thinking yeah, there would be bars you could who yeah. wouldn't have a cricket team. Well, there are lots, but it's just like 
do you want to have to go there after a win? You know, like yeah. you wanted to go back to the Dan because of was, course it, it yeah. felt homely, it felt it felt comfortable. But you know, if you go to the old bar on a Sunday night, are you going to get out of there before Monday morning? <laughs> Probably not. Um, or or if your other alternative is like some really nice posh sort of place that serves steamed mussels and stuff, it's like. I don't think this is the vibe. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. A a digression. Um, Sam sent us this $3.43 number with the clue that it was a bit political and we didn't get it. We got some great suggestions. There are three of them I'm going to go through. One from Tim Minchin, not that Tim Minchin, the other Tim Minchin. Ian Botham, he says, got 343 wickets before his 30th birthday. You know, there's a sort of two halves of his career thing where the second half was a bit shit, but the Mm. first half was great. 3.43 before his 30th and also notoriously recently became a member of the House of Lords. (laughs) It lines Uh, up. Worth a shout, says not that to mention. Uh, Chris Arkell, who is not Derek Randall in disguise, says, according to The Guardian in 2011, David Cameron wanted Darren Goff to stand as a Tory candidate. (laughs) Goff took three for 43 in the first innings of the 97 Ashes. Another good shout. Bowled beautifully that morning at Edgbaston as well. That's when Goff was like just at his absolute best. Mm. And then the, the 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 winner though, the one that's definitely got to be it, is from Brent Simmons. Um, and Marky also made this same suggestion, but Brent wrote Sir Alec Douglas Home, UK Prime Minister, nineteen sixty three, because he went to the right school, but was apparently a decent bloke as well. Played first class cricket for six teams, including Oxford University and Middlesex, as Lord Dunglass. <laughs> he took three for forty three for HDG Leveson Gowers eleven versus Oxford University in May nineteen twenty six, bowling fast medium. He was the only British PM to play first class cricket and went on an MCC tour to Argentina in nineteen twenty six seven, where they played three first-class games containing four test players under Plum Warner. Isn't that beautiful? I think we've talked about that South American tour oh, in the past, times. haven't we? Because it wasn't that the one Peru? that, Fred, that Freddie, Fred Brown, was it? For, for, for future England captain? Yes, yes. Uh, so who, he, was, who was... His like, grandson. Isn't there a connection there between Freddie Brown and something to do with one of his offspring... And ending back in Peru anyway. Yeah. I, I don't remember why this has come up before, but I'm pretty sure it has some link through there. Look, yeah, well, it, it's, it is there. We've done a lot of numbers <laughs> in the last few months, but it was to do with Fred Brown being born in Lima, maybe, in Peru, uh, um, yes. having a father who was a consulate official or something like that. Yes, that, that, no, that, that's better. That's right. You're right. Freddie Brown was b- born in Lima in mm. 1910. So anyway, okay. and and, and so that links up to the Argentina tour, which which Plum Warner was touring on. It was after Plum Warner toured South Africa as a player and made the fewest ever runs in a series of ten innings um, by any player, I think, or second. No, Leary Constantine had the had the worst. Plum was second. David Warner third. So the two Warners really scoring up a storm. But the best part about all of this is that. Someone was allowed to play cricket as Lord Dunglass <laughs> and then played for HDG Leveson Gowers 11. And you wonder why we think England is funny. I mean, goodness. <laughs> so, look, Brent Simmons has nailed it, I'm sure. Sam Chappell will confirm it, I'm sure. And uh, let's Imagine move. how easy it was to get a game for the Leveson Gowers 11. When your name was Lord Dunglass. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we've all <laughs> seen some terrible old newsreel footage of 
dreadful cricket and yeah. some of the stuff that was deemed first class black then anyway that's <laughs> I, I, I wonder just what sort of cricketer just imagine Bowler's Lord Dunglass was bowler's name Lord Dunglass <laughs> <laughs> what Lord Dunglass <laughs> Uh, with the with the scorers at the trestle table that yeah. Dominic Cummins did his uh, press conference from. <laughs> if you want to keep that political link through from uh, last year, the little tiny desk that Donald Trump signed those papers at. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so we'll move on to our next revisit. This is from David WFG, uh, the wet friendly giant. The number was six oh six. We sent it to the crowd. Because we weren't there after Dennis Lindsay. We were guessing his runs in a series, a South African wicketkeeper. Where are we with this, Adam? Yeah, so David said that he, he'd stumped us and he was wondering whether we knew our mycricket.com.au well enough. He was sure that he did. He went on to say, and this is where it got a bit confusing for me, that the person he's linking it to is someone who has something in common with both of us. And after mm-hmm. looking at it again since he last wrote to us, he, he realised they had another thing in common with us, a second thing, and that they were also a competitor of ours in in some way. So mycricket.com.au is the website Mm. that catalogues like community cricket, grade cricket, club cricket, park cricket, whatever. You put your scores in there on a Saturday night. So anything that's not kind of professional level cricket ends up on mycricket, which makes it even harder in some respects. But I just wondered whether it, and I wouldn't characterise our relationship with them as competitors, but possibly a grade cricketer link no, Sam Perry played first grade cricket, runs mm-hmm. a grade cricketer with Ian Higgins. I don't know whether it might be linked to one of those two fellas back from their days, their glory days playing in the in the Sydney club cricket competition or Sydney test cricket as they call it on their fantastic podcast. Well, given, um, the, given the way they talk about their careers, I can't imagine anyone average 60.6. Um, but yeah. maybe, but 6.06 seems a bit low even for their the yeah, self-deprecating uh, way. Exactly. So it, that, that discussed. might be where it was going. But if not, then but that, but I'm that, a bit... That's not a recent thing. So he says... Have Having this person now, there is a second thing this person now has in common with you both, having become something of a competitor. So that sort of indicates that someone who's like maybe someone who started radio broadcasting moved this summer, like moved into Ferguson cricket writing or, or, or something like that. Yeah, somebody's joined the press box. I mean, but we don't really consider each other competitors. That's so a bit of a. But there's also no like there aren't a lot of just recently option. The only one I can think of is Cal Ferguson's been doing okay. radio this But what else would he have sure in common with But he both? would have done that before. I think he's done he it. He did. I worked yeah. with him a few years ago. But what would he have in common no, no, he wouldn't. with you and I from before that, which is the, a pretty big part of the clue here from David. It's something that they... And, you know, when we've had to work out what... Didn't make a lot of test runs. No, yeah. <laughs> He'd have that in yeah. common. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, um, and, you know, your background, my background, no. I mean, we'll be looking at a... I don't know, it's too David, much. David, I, you've stumped us again. But if the crowd have a yeah. sniff then where all is yeah i think i'm i'm marking this one for you know as as case unsolvable <laughs> unless someone unless someone else can solve it for us we want to believe as fox we want to believe uh tom stewart's four dollars 93 that's when you were talking about jeff cook it was from durham but it was not about jeff cook tom replied it's funny that in the same episode it's funny that you mentioned the famous Australia versus South Africa being bowled out for 47 innings in that episode because while 493 might represent the height of this player's career, that innings was certainly their lowest. Well, I'm absolutely kicking myself that I didn't get this as well because I wrote about this 493 extensively eight years ago, 2013 14. 493 is the number of runs that Brad Haddon made in the 13 14 ah. Ashes. 
and it was significant because it was the most number of runs that anyone had made in a series batting entirely outside the top six. There were some wicket keepers who'd made... There were a couple of... Like Dennis Lindsay... Um, yep. who 606. Made, with the 606, we just mentioned briefly, who had made more, but they had batted in the top six for some of those series, so even if not for the whole time. And so... That was the most number by anyone batting at seven or lower for the whole series. 493 when Brad Haddon made runs in the first innings of every, all five test matches and basically made dug a Australia out of a hole every time. Yeah, he made the misunderstood part of 13 14. We all remember Mitch Johnson and we see 5 0, but Australia were five for not enough in, every time. in the first innings each time. And he made a century in Adelaide and 50 in every other yep. test Every other first innings, yeah. And, so that and works. And was dominant. So that's the 493 for Tom Stewart. Thank you, Tom. So that's the end of our revisits. The next thing we do, well, we like to finish on a couple of bits of correspondence. We've, mm-hmm. we've got some nice notes. And uh, yep. the first of those is from George Norman, who we were talking about earlier. The baker from Perth and what a lovely man he is. And Do you think we could get Dane Hansen and George Norman into like a donut off? Oh. Or maybe a donut collaboration? You know, they're not competitors. Once it's like, COVID's like over... us and the great cricketer. We'd rather make yes. donuts together <laughs> yes. than make donuts against one another. Absolutely. I, once this is all over with COVID and travel restrictions and all the rest of it, I would love to have all of us come together and, mm. and drink flavoured milk and eat and eat and jam eat the, donuts yeah, together. Some sort of baked goods jamboree. Maybe, maybe we should do a vanilla our, slice in there. Maybe we should do our Final Word Daily, which we're doing from different locations in Melbourne this week. And for all we know, quite possibly next week if the Brisbane Test match ends up being in Sydney as well and we're therefore stuck in Melbourne. Maybe we should go to Footscray Station. Mm. And but it's gone. The, the jam donut oh, yeah. dolphin is gone. Oh, yes, that's the, right. The gentleman in charge of that wonderful thing has, has left us, has ah. left this mortal coil, and um, and the, the donut dolphin is no more. Well, scrap that. Maybe we'll have to go to Danny Nong. Maybe we'll have to go to Wangaratta uh, yeah. or wherever it is, or, or Yakandanda or Yarrawonga. Yakandanda's nowhere near that. Yarrawonga, you know, wherever it is in northeast Victoria that Dane is, maybe we'll just have to go it's to not far bakery. from Wangaratta, I think. So. Okay. Anyway. All right. Well, you know, wherever Graham Vimpani made his ton. Uh, so this this note from George says, G'day, as, as all good correspondents should start. As we are enjoying our last night off before what looks like being a busy and hot run up to Christmas. I mean, this did come in a while ago, but we haven't done story time in weeks. So thought I would drop a note to say thanks for the the content, the hill of content over a long and hectic year. There is a quote I like but can't find an accurate source for that says, of all the things that don't matter, this matters the most, which sums up my feelings about sport and especially cricket. I think your pod taps into this with both space for serious analysis and the more esoteric. Step forward, crusty old bastard, and Frank Ward. I don't get close to the most number of Spotify minutes listened in the year, but apparently I did once listen to nine episodes in one day, which must have been one (laughs) fucked up day. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's not quite the you know thirty odd thousand minutes <laughs> listen that that I've seen from some people, but it it is nine in a day is solid. Thank you, George. Lovely, uh, lovely note uh, to to finish that part on. And the very last thing I want to read out is from Fred Cowan. Now, Fred is a brother of Henry Cowan, a dear friend, who is the England women's team media manager former web editor at All Out Cricket, all-round beautiful man. And his brother Fred is a patron of ours. And he, he comes to us with an idea. And we have... We're, we're a capital of to, ideas. Well, we've been known to campaign around mm. different parts of the laws and playing conditions in international cricket. 
We're very cool. Thus, the conversations around mancads mm-hmm. and, of course, the no ball being mm-hmm. automated. The crusade that final word was right How in the middle of. How good is it? Do you get a little sort of little thrill every time you hear the third umpire say, I've already verified already, already the front, the front foot, foot and it's a fair <laughs> delivery? Do you get a little like, ooh? Hard as a guardian cryptic crossword. Uh, he says, he says, Afternoon, gents. I want to bring to your attention a rule in cricket that my brother, Henry, and I spoke about over Christmas that we both feel is a hole in the game. Speaking of donuts. Like the nearly adopted no ball rule, I felt that bringing it to your attention would give you the chance to bring about change. I love that. I love the idea that <laughs> that Fred we're responsible we for it. <laughs> But hey, it, it starts somewhere and it, it had to start somewhere, so it started there. Picture the scene, 2019 World Cup final. Ben Stokes is on strike. Mark Wood is at the other end. It's the final ball of the game. In this scenario, England need one run to win. Trent Bolt sends down a ball that meets Stokes's front pad. It flicks down to fine leg and a legitimate leg by is run. New Zealand appeal for leg before and the umpire says not out. New Zealand review. The video shows umpire's call and the decision is upheld. So it's not out. In the current rules, Fred says, that ball becomes a dead ball. Despite the legitimate leg by, the use of video technology to review makes that a dead ball and New Zealand, in that scenario, win the World Cup. Does it need to change or is it one of the game's great quirks like the team that scored the most boundaries should win in the event of a tie? From Fred and Henry Cowan. Mm. Jeff, this is a fucking good point. This is a loophole. This one is interesting. And I, I saw this in the doc and I deliberately didn't go and look it up because I didn't want to try to appear smarter than I am. So I'm going at this sort of deliberately hampered. But sure. my, my memory of this is that this law changed in, after the one-day game in Melbourne, I think, when James, James Taylor, Taylor and Jimmy Anderson were batting together. And was it that it was the ball hit Taylor's pad, he was given out he reviewed it and was not out but Anderson had been run out at the other end because they tried to go through for a leg by but they'd been distracted by the umpire giving it out and all the rest of it so the umpire had given it out Anderson had given up trying to make his ground and so the ball was thrown in and the bales were taken off but Anderson thought that Taylor was out yeah and then Taylor's found to be not out by and the review stuck on 99 but Anderson is given run out because the ball was still live and so the the law was changed to say that the ball would be dead so that that player couldn't be run out in that situation right but my understanding of it is that in the situation that Fred's laying out it wouldn't be a dead ball because it was given not out so because it's given not out the ball stays live they run through for the leg by with a live ball and after that it gets sent up for the review the situation in which that would be the case is if it was it, it hits Stokes on the pad it ricochets away he runs through for a leg by but the umpire gives him out and he refers it and is found to be not out but can't score the leg by that he would otherwise have scored if the correct decision had been made so there is a situation in which Stokes can't get the leg by that he needs but it's a, my understanding of it is it's only if he's given out when he shouldn't have been and he overturns it but not if the fielding side goes up for a review after he's been given not out that's my i think how it works well that that, that would make does sense make to sense? me well it does if, if and put it this way if, if it's not as that it should be that but it does still leave you the situation where had the umpire made the correct call instead of you know if the umpire gives him out incorrectly 
it can stop him from winning the game with a leg bye. Yes, because he can therefore yeah. not take the leg bye because he's been given out. Because the decision's already been made. So so the ball's become dead once the decision's been made. I think it's I think how it works is that as soon as the decision is made by the umpire on the field, the ball's dead. So if the umpire says not out, you can still run the leg by even if you're even if the fielding team subsequently. So reviews. either you've got it right or Fred's got it right. And if Fred's got it right, it should be the way you're you're explaining it. What we'll do is we'll actually do yeah. our homework on this. Yeah. But so you could still be <laughs> aggrieved that if you're you know, if you're hit on the pad given out incorrectly, you get it overturned, but you can't get the leg by, you could be aggrieved at not winning. But the flip side to that is you're trying to win a World Cup with a fucking leg by? Like, come <laughs> off it. You should have hit the ball. This is the Daniel Norcross leg yeah. by should be banned? Leg, yeah, leg by should be a or give it to the batsman. But you can, give it to the batsman I could deal with, but you can't abolish them because otherwise you'll spend half of every game trying to judge whether someone got an inside edge on a leg by or not sure. and whether it can count as a run. You know, you can't be having 50 snickos a day on whether someone got a bit of a nick on a, something going down a fine leg. In the end, that's a slightly strange place for us to leave it oh, <laughs> on the show. It's perfect. Maybe we should have finished with uh, with George Norman. No, after no, this that is out exactly before. as we should end it. <laughs> in an like absolute there, mess. I like that there's some confusion to, to round this off, but it's been a very enjoyable conversation going back through those numbers, and yeah. I'm glad we're back on the, the story time. Bike. Horse. 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 Bike. Horse, bike, whatever. Vehicle. <laughs> the, the, um, uh, animal. Uh, mineral. And the good news is that... Did you um, see the Shane Warne bit that I popped up um, the other day that I'd, I'd picked up from... It was a replay from the Adelaide test. Right. It was some of the most beautiful metaphor mixing that that I think I've ever seen in my life. So maybe we end with that bit of poetry. I, I think it is. This, is. this is after Mitchell Stark's uh, bold Prithvi Shaw early on. And, and Shane says... First blood to the Aussies, second cherry. Knocks over the castle and on your bike, Prithvi Shaw, you're gone for a globe. Uh, the classic mo- when somebody knocks over your castle, you depart on your bicycle. <laughs> In the departure of shame by bicycle. <laughs> uh, to, to put all of that in one sentence, that's, um, it's, it's masterful. If people want to get involved in story time, it'd be lovely because mm. this is... As you can probably tell, fair bit of work goes into story time, and we love doing oh, it. But more the more ever. people, the more people that get involved, the better it is for everybody. Rising tide, and the, the forum on there is great. People talking to each other, becoming friends through the final word through Patreon. Mm-hmm. If you want to make pals on the internet talking about cricket, we're better than via our Patreon page. Better than we're the new Victor Trump of The new Victor Trump. I was going to say exactly that. The Victor Trump of Cricket Board was the catalyst for so many of my friendships in my formative cricketing years, mm. and hopefully this can. Play some role like that, but more to the point, we love talking to everybody on there too. So, patreon.com forward slash the final word. If you are so inclined to be one of our supporters in 2021, that would be just delightful. And if not, that's fine as well. We're going to keep making the show every week. It's a, a show for all. Yeah. We'll have the weekly show that'll be coming out on, if I've got my sums correctly, Wednesday. We've Wednesday. got a big feature interview coming down the pipeline this week, which I'm very excited about. A player who has been a final word favourite over the years and mm-hmm. a player who is I would call him an Australian international mm-hmm. you can try and work out who that is and we've got obviously the Daily Show will be out every day of this series by hook or by crook whether there's rain whether it's in Sydney or Brisbane or anywhere else doesn't matter we'll be there and we'll be filming it it's on YouTube people are enjoying that thanks to Cam Fink we have the ability to pop those um, daily shows up on our YouTube channel so if you've not been on there yet uh, click that little bell button subscribe to the channel and hopefully you're, you'll enjoy some of the, the beautiful 
artistry, really, and not from us, but from Cam, who has got us sort of in the corner of the shot while painting a far broader canvas of Melbourne. I'm in the corner watching you kiss. <laughs> oh. Let's sign off. Final word. Uh, story time. I feel I- like we should continue for two more minutes just to get to midnight, but no, we, we, we do need to finish. We've both got work tomorrow. We do. I'm Jeff Lemon. You're Adam Collins. Uh, All of the rest of you are not either of us, but you are listening if you still are. Bless you. Uh, This show's on the Bad Producer Podcast Network, edited by David Collins and talked on by us. We'll see you next time. I had to go about it, write it out and find out.